Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. It's time now for a Washington report where we take a look at headlines out of the United States from the U.S.'s announcement to pump $55 billion into Africa at the U.S.-Africa summit and the country beginning to buy back oil for its strategic petroleum reserve. Quite a number of headlines to get through. And helping me out this morning is Pashandit, who is Professor of Economics at NCIAD. Good morning, Pashan. Good morning. Uh, Professor, did you watch the World Cup last night? Yes, I'm a little bit sleepy. Welcome to the sleepwalking family, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> a bit, I'm a bit upset for France because because of them, we couldn't sleep early, you see. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's but it was talk- a great game. It was. What a, what a fantastic game. What a fantastic yeah. game. Let's talk about these, these headlines out of the U.S. A couple of interesting ones, uh, Professor. Uh, the U.S.-Africa Summit, where the U.S. talked about pumping in $55 billion into Africa in the next three years. Is it a case of competing with China, you know, trying to compete with China's growing influence over the continent? What are your thoughts on this? So there is a race for Africa. So and at its heart is this increasing competition for Africa's huge natural resources, especially things which will go into like battery technology and also the strategic trade routes which go which go through there. So this U.S. engagement is actually driven by this new Cold War dynamic where you have the U.S. and its allies on one side and China-Russia axis on the other side. But having said that, the U.S. is very late to the table. The last time the U.S. engaged Africa seriously was in 2013 when Obama visited. Mm. It's almost been a decade and Trump actually disparaged African countries calling them a term that I cannot even repeat on air. But I think the, this is just the very first step. So I'm, the Americans can do something by taking a page of the Chinese playbook. So the Chinese basically do a lot of trade there. They are the continent's largest bilateral predator. They've invested in telecom, roads, rail, and bridges. So the U.S. also has to think in terms of trade and growth and not just humanitarian assistance, that Africa is a place of opportunity and not just a problem to be solved. And they also have to shift a little bit away from that this is just about the U.S., China and the zero some kind of uh, outlook. Exactly. I, I, I totally agree. It's, it's more than a competition, but also increasing uh, your potential for your own country by working together. What were some of the other highlights of the summit for you? So... The summit was still quite vague. Okay, a, a bunch of African leaders actually competed for, you know, photo opportunities with Biden, and this led to some some tensions with some countries like Ethiopia, which are which have had, you know, ethnic, which have had civil wars or uh, external wars going on. Now, if you go back again, Obama's visit, he actually brought very a message of tough love, saying that Americans will help Africa. But the Africans also have to take responsibility for their problems. So these days, American officials, what they did was they were stressing partnership. They were stressing shared interests, shared values. But there is one issue with this is that when the Chinese or the Russians or the Turkish go to Africa, they come offer something concrete. So Chinese infrastructure, Turkish drones, Russian weapons, whereas the Americans talk very abstractly, Hmm. respect shared values. So I think what the African leaders really want is they, they, they want intellectual property waivers, they want debt relief, they want market access, they, they, was, they want loss and damage from climate change. So, uh, and a last classic example mistake that many of these leaders, and including the Biden administration, are making is they, they treat Africa as a homogenous whole, right? It clearly is not because, and so the U.S. has to think about Africa on a country by country basis uh, about its economic ties and security ties. 
Mm. Professor, the Fed last week raised interest rates half percentage point, its highest level in 15 years. And looking at how markets have had two consecutive weeks of declines, hopes of a Christmas rally or a Santa rally is pretty much fizzled out. Economists don't seem confident of a soft landing, especially with the words, you know, they're not quite done yet. You're going to see more rate hikes through 2023. Uh, What are your thoughts on the potential of a soft landing? So I think the latest inflation numbers were actually not bad. So it may be cautiously optimistic that the Fed has this under control. Okay. So goods inflation turned negative while service inflation sort of moderated. And housing, especially if you look at the latest data, if you look at rents, which is a big component of the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, that's actually started to come down. So, but is the inflation rate remains higher than the Fed's target of 2%. So what does that mean? It means that the Fed will not raise interest rates aggressively, but they will raise it in either in smaller steps, like 25 to 50 basis points, or they will hold it high for much longer. Okay, so so we have to actually reconcile ourselves to a world where interest rates are likely to stay high. The second thing is that quantitative easing, where, you know, markets have gotten used to getting free money, basically, at zero interest rates, that world is gone. Okay, so we are, we are going to see quantitative tightening. Now, the reason Powell is still promising interest rates increases is because labor market has died. Unemployment is still quite low and wages continue to rise. So if we do see a recession, I think it's going to be mild. Okay. Uh, it will not feel much because asset prices will continue to decline because, you know, zero interest rates are gone and quantitative tightening has started. But keep in mind that the Wall Street is not the economy, right? Uh, you know, the, we have to think about the real economy and not just the the asset prices. Uh, but I think we are sort of, uh, uh, you know, it, things are looking much better than they were, let's say, three months ago, where, where the Fed seems to have actually lost control of inflation and especially inflationary expectations. Mm. Uh, the U.S. Energy Department has said that they will begin buying back oil for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Professor, is this proof that the Biden administration intends to keep its word to refill uh, when prices fall below $70 per barrel on a consistent basis? So just to put things in a little bit of perspective, okay. the U.S. released about 180 million barrels of oil in 2022 from its reserves when oil prices spiked close to $100 a barrel. Now, its target for that reserve is about 600 uh, million barrels of oil reserves. Today, it's at around 380. Now, they did this, of course, in response to the Ukraine war and, you know, Saudi Arabia and UAE and Russia cutting production. Then then came the elections, gas prices spiked, and there was pressure on the Biden administration to be seen as doing something, to ease the pressure on gas prices and on the pocketbook of ordinary Americans. Now, this is mainly posturing because just to give you a perspective, the world produces 80 million barrels of oil per day, right? And the the U.S. actually released 180 million barrels this year, right? So today, you know, so the oil prices were high, so they released some mainly, I think, as posturing. But now they're buying it back once uh, oil prices have come down to around $75 per barrel because of the slowdown in China, mainly, because that has reduced the demand for oil. So economically, actually, this is a good idea. What did the Americans do? They sold uh, when oil prices were high and they're buying it when they're low. And if they continue to replenish the reserve, they would have made a tidy profit of about $4 billion. Okay. The big thing that they're trying to accomplish is they're trying to 
put a floor on the oil price at around 70, 75, because they're hoping this will encourage investments in shale oil. So, and that shale oil boom, which had ended during COVID, they are hoping that investors will start uh, investing more in shale oil and that, again, it will reduce dependence on, on Saudi oil, UAE and OPEC in general. Hmm. Professor, help me. Uh, am I looking too much into the bigger picture if I'm curious about how this has a correlation with the fact that you've got a bit of an oil crisis in the European region? I mean, does it affect, I don't know, how fast they can take to, to refill their emergency oil? So just, uh, I think I think the details of the project matter. So this is like, okay. the, they literally said this is a pilot project, okay? They're going to buy 3 million barrels of oil which is going to be delivered into the reserves in February. So we have some time, right? Now, what is, again, to keep things in perspective, you know, 3 million barrels uh, they're buying back, that's like, that's like a dot in a drop of a barrel of oil. Okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so if they stick to this schedule, huh, just back of the envelope calculation shows it'll take them eight years to actually replenish the oil reserves. So we do have this oil crisis in Europe, and how will that get resolved? That will get resolved. Uh, you know, there are lots of uncertainty there, but basically, you know, can the U.S. and Europeans negotiate over a price ceiling for Russian oil and gas? Yeah. Okay. And how will this be implemented? Will China and India go along or will they refuse to participate? Uh, you know, what is OPEC going to do? So these are far bigger drivers in the oil prices rather than the, than the U.S. selling some oil, buying it back and, and things like that. All right. Uh, as always, the devil is in the detail. I do appreciate that uh, analysis. I've been speaking with uh, Prashant Dutt, who is Professor of Economics at NCAD. Professor, thank you so much for your time. I hope you get some rest from the World Cup. Unless you have a teacher class, then, well, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Thanks again, okay, Professor. Thank you. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.